March 21st, 2021. Week 12. 100 Day Challenge. The Backstory. Later Profits. Good morning. I'm going to start off by dating myself here right away. I don't know if you remember a commercial that was popular in 1984. I was eight years old, and for some reason it was blazoned in my memory. It was this man who had a white coat on, and he had a really thick mustache, and his catchphrase was, time to make the donuts. And the context of that was he would wake up at 3.30 or 4.30 in the morning and he would make donuts for us so that we could enjoy donuts whatever time we were allowed to wake up. But this poor guy, you would just look at him and he would shuffle in and your, your heart would kind of break for him. It was so sad and pathetic. It was always time to make the donuts. And I don't know if you have moments like that where you're just caught up in the monotony of life, where things just feel mundane. Yesterday, I was, it was even as, as early as yesterday, I was on the phone with my sister and she, was, she lives in Philly and they're still waiting in line before they can enter a grocery store and she just said, what's the point of this? How long is this gonna go on? Every Saturday, get groceries, go home, do chores and what's the point? It's just gonna all have to be done again next week and next week and next week and, and is this it? Is this all there is to life? I don't know if you have those mundane moments when you're on your commute hitting the same red lights every morning, just feeling a heaviness to you. Or for me, it was always math class at Frontier. I had a great math teacher. His name was Mr. Tone. It was amazing. But it was slow. I could swear that for every two minutes that went by, it went back three. It just felt like monotony in those moments. Or for you, maybe you experience your existential crisis in the moments of bad turmoil. I can imagine that in, in a crowd this size and online that some of you are in situations that you didn't really want or expect. Moments where you find yourself packing up dusty belongings from years of a career that you're transitioning out of and you didn't think that that's the way it would kind of end. Some of you worked hard after school over and over and over again. You took all the right classes only to be rejected, to open up that letter and think, What's the point? Or maybe even some of you, a little harder situation, you find the surreal moment as you're walking into a funeral home thinking, how did we get here? Why did this have to happen? Why now? Why me? And these are certainly heavy questions for a bright, sunny spring morning. And I promise you that I would have changed the introduction if there would have been a foot of snow and it would have been 32 degrees out. But I think we can handle some of these big questions because we have the promise of a new spring day ahead of us. But these questions aren't new. These questions have been asked for centuries and centuries. And there's a place that they're more evident even later than they are today, and, and that's as we study the later prophets. If you've been joining us, we're on a journey called the 100-Day Challenge, where we've been reading excerpts along the way of the Old Testament so that we as Christians can understand our backstory, where we can understand all of the things that kind of led up to the moments that we're going to be celebrating in a couple weeks here with Good Friday and Easter and beyond. And this week you have some heavy lifting as you've had. You'll be reading excerpts from Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. And these are the later prophets who were spending most of their time warning Judea of what was to come. You see, the people of Judah were the southern kingdom of the Israel nation. 
In 137 years prior to this, as you've heard in the past couple weeks, the northern kingdom was taken by Assyria. But that's old news. That was 137 years ago, almost five generations ago. And so the people of of Judah were kind of living comfortable. A couple weeks ago, we heard Pastor Ken talk us through the dangerous notion of grace sometimes. And that's kind of where the people of Judea were, were living. They were just thinking, gosh, we're, we're comfortable. They, they, were, they were becoming to a place where they didn't even believe anymore. They were so disobedient. And so you'll see through these prophets that, that there's a balance between judgment and, and mercy and despair and hope. And you'll see some, some goodness in the pain. But there's some hard words that you'll be reading this week as the theme is judgment. And these chosen people, they thought they were untouchable. They didn't think anything was going to come to them. And Jeremiah, time after time after time, again, was predicting their imminent defeat. In Jeremiah 2, 19, he refers to their behavior as this. He said that they have lost their awe of God. And later, a chapter later in Jeremiah 3, 3, he says that they had the brazen look of a prostitute. And I know this is jumping in here early, but I think that if we're all honest with ourselves and we do some self-reflection, that there are moments in our own spiritual journey where we're somewhere on that continuum. I know for me, probably in my early 20s, you know, I'd come to faith as a late teen, but by the time I got to my early mid-20s, I kind of was just frustrated. I felt done with it. I didn't, couldn't muster up the care to care anymore. And I probably was living a lot like they were with the disobedience and the brazen look that said, I don't need God anymore. And some of you maybe were dragged here or forced to listen, and you may be in that place. But I think probably what's more common if you're here this morning or listening online, that maybe you're experiencing those moments where you you may have lost your awe of God. We've talked about that concept here before numerous times. You may have heard it as, as backsliding or the slow fade. But that phrase breaks my heart more than most in scripture because it's so easy to find ourselves in the monotony or the turmoil of life and we just lose our reverence and our awe. And so right as we begin this morning, I just wanna call out to you that if you are feeling that, reclaim that awe. Do whatever you need to do to fight for it, to work for it, to know the, the beauty and the joy of your salvation as it says in scripture. I know for me, it straight up means solitude in nature. Those are the moments where I can reclaim my awe. Last night, I don't know if you noticed, but the stars, the sky was so clear. And I had a little moment of reclaiming my awe for God. So I don't know for you if that's the giggle of one of your kids or if it's the way the spouse that you have lovingly looks at you, but don't miss those moments. Don't miss those moments where you can reclaim those moments because it's those times, it's those times that we feel that connection with the God, the creator who loves us. The God creator who loves us, who is so patient and so merciful toward us. I don't know if, you've, if you have been reading along, but as we read, man, sometimes the Old Testament gets like, okay, enough wrath and judgment. This is intense. 
And it's easy to think, gosh, the God of the Old Testament was the negative strike you down God and thank God for Jesus because it's the a different way. But I wanna encourage you that the, the story of the Old Testament and these later prophets is truly one of God's patience and mercy. When you put the people of Israel in context, in a timeline of context, you see this judgment and this, this capture by the Babylonians came after 900 years of disloyalty and disobedience. 900 years until God said, okay, I'm gonna have to uproot you and take something away that you love to get your attention. Gosh, I'm a parent of three, two eight-year-olds and a 12. They don't have 900 years. It's usually the second time I have to use my big voice, right? And then the third time I have to take away something they love because I love them and I wanna care for them. And that's exactly where we find God in the people of Judah. And so now Judah is paying attention. They've been uprooted. They thought they were the chosen ones who were untouchable. They saw what happened in the northern kingdoms and now they were living out the dis despair that they had been warned against, but they had not listened to. They had not turned their hearts around. And so here they find themselves in Babylon, in captivity, exiled from where they were. And Jeremiah has another message for them from the Lord. And I don't know, I'm probably, well, I know that Jeremiah was a lot more patient and loving than I was. My message from the Lord may have been, I told you so, ha ha, you made your bed, right? Those are the kinds of messages we may expect. And instead, the, the word from the Lord that comes to Jeremiah is this, this, when he looks at the people who are in despair and not wanting to be in the circumstances that they're in, it says this, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek peace and prosperity of this city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, it sounds like a nice idea, but can you imagine how hard that would be to hear after you've been taken away and been in this circumstance that you didn't ask for nor wish for nor hope for? Some of you may really resonate with that right now, whether it's a marriage or a career or kids you didn't ask for and you didn't hope for and now you're stuck in these situations. And yet there's words of hope that the Lord gives here. I'm not a very like inspirational wall hanging kind of person, but there's one that I see that always makes me pause and it's that idea, it's that, it's that phrase that says, bloom where you are planted. And that actually comes from a, a St. Francis, St. Francis de Sales, who was the Bishop of Geneva in the 1500s and, and that's where the saying comes from. And, and this was the original, it said this, truly charity has no limit. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by his spirit, dwelling in each one of us, calling us to a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. No doubt St. Francis got that from Jeremiah's words. 
In Jeremiah 17, listen to the common theme. It says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that send out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. You know something about a year of drought. And never fails to bear fruit. In other words, in these moments, the Lord isn't telling the people, buckle down. Just, you know, put your head down and get through it. You know, wait patiently. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes we have to painstakingly wait for circumstances to change. But in this moment, in this moment, he is saying, here's what I want you to do. Thrive. It is not just about survival in this land you don't want to be here. It's about thriving. I want you to thrive regardless of drought. I want green leaves on your trees. I want you to produce fruit. In other words, he's saying wherever you are, be all there. Be present. Don't be so focused on what's to come or what's behind, but do what you can to embrace the situation, submit to it, and even more so, invest in it. Those, that, those verses to me about build houses and, and find sons for your daughters, they speak three things that I think are pretty evident. I think one is it says invest in relationships. Find your, your son's wives and your daughter's husbands and so that they can find their sons and daughter's wives and husbands. This isn't just a casual you know, hang out for a little bit. This is invest deeply in these people that you are surrounded by. And I think that regardless of the situation, that there's probably some people that we can invest in, some unlikely people that we may not think we want to. Maybe it's the neighbor with a different political poster than your beliefs. Maybe it's the basketball coach that faithfully you know, helps out your kids over and over and over again. You know, maybe it's the unlikely coworker that has the nasally buffalo voice right, that irritates you. Maybe that's the relationship you need to invest in. Maybe it's simply the people that are closest to you, your family, the family that maybe isn't your blood, but God has given to surround you. We need to invest in those relationships if we want to thrive. I think it's also pretty clear with the gardening stuff, right, that it says invest in your community. I don't know whether you're from Hamburg or Orchard Park or Eden, Angola, if you're, you know, come up here from Springville, if you're part of a, one of our different campuses, but we have communities that we are called to invest in. I love that it, to me, it you know, gives me excuses to shop local. It says, eat what they produce, plant with them. How can we invest in our communities? Maybe it is being the assistant soccer coach. Maybe it is joining a, you know, a fight for councilmen. Maybe it is simply just connecting with neighbors, but there are ways that we can connect in our communities. Maybe it's serving in church. As we continue to open more and more, this is part of your church community. There are ways that we can serve. And it is clear that a way to thrive is not only to invest in the in people, but to invest in the whole community. And that's what Jeremiah is saying through the, that's what the Lord is saying through Jeremiah here. And I think the third one is so simple, but thing that we let go of time and time again is it really says pray. And it says pray for their prosperity. It doesn't say pray that they'll change their minds. It doesn't say pray that they'll agree with you. It doesn't say pray that they will lift you up. No, it says pray for their prosperity. 
And how many time and time again, when we are in situations or with people that we don't like, situations we don't like, desert times in our life, that we fail to do the thing that is so important, so evident. Pastor Paul talked about it a couple weeks ago when he took us through the wisdom literature that we should have patches in our knees from the faithfulness and the fervor in which we pray. And not just for our own circumstances to change, not for our own personal needs and wants, but to pray for the people and the community that God has placed us in. Those aren't easy words. That isn't a hard, that is a hard pill to swallow. It is not necessarily what we want to hear sometimes but it is that in which we're called to do, to bloom where we're planted so that we can thrive even in the midst of of the most difficult situations or even just in the mundane ones. And some of you may think, gosh, this is so good, this sermon isn't for me this morning because I don't feel like I'm in any turmoil and my life isn't in feel mundane right now. And I hate to say you, like, just wait because I'm sure there's a time when it was or there's a time where it will be because we're not promised quick solutions. We're not, this, is, this isn't a, a plan that we won't experience hardship. In fact, if we continue, um, you know, Jeremiah continues to say this to them. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And this is a verse some of you could recite along with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Such hopeful good news. Such a hopeful promise that there is a plan. Most importantly, what I love what that says is that you are not overlooked. I see you and you matter and I've got this. But if you look at the context of this, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And here's why. Because the context of it is that in Jeremiah 28, The people had just been told by a false prophet, Hananiah, that this captivity would only last two years. And I can imagine which prophet they liked better, right? Two years versus 70. And they were celebrating, they were happy that it would only be, that's what I can grin and bear. Until it was discovered that Hananiah was a false prophet and was actually struck down by God because his words were actually incorrect. And it's like, I think of these timelines, two years, 70 years, and it's sometimes hard for me to place this, but let's imagine, you know, it'd be nice to get through a sermon without mentioning this, and hopefully soon. But we have had a year of hardship. We've had a year of dissension and masks and canceled social events and not getting to live out the freedoms that we want to live out and and having to make decisions about vaccinations and who and when and where, and it has been a mess. But if you're like me, I'm hopeful because it seems like there are glimpses of things coming to an end. But can you imagine just for a moment if whatever news source or people you follow said this, you know what, we were wrong. This is gonna be 70 years. 
buckle down. Masks aren't going anywhere. Limited capacity isn't going anywhere. It's gonna be 70 more years. I mean, can't you just feel that in your gut now? I mean, doesn't that just make this come to life? Because what it would mean for me is that I'm done, right? I'm 44, 70 years. This would mean this is my life from now on. And even worse, it would mean my kids' lives. My kids who were eight and 12, it would mean it would be their lives from now on. And they most likely would never know anything different than the year that we've experienced. That is a sobering plan of hope if I'm living in Babylon. But don't worry, right? Because there are two plans here that God speaks of. There is a little, little P plan and there is a big P plan. And the little P plan is all over scripture. It's all over the New Testament where it says things like you are God's workmanship created to do good things that I known you, I've known you before you were born, right? It says that we are all gifted with spiritual gifts. We're all part of a body. That speaks to our little P plan here on earth. You are seen, you are needed for the kingdom. You are loved, you are valued, and you need to live out the calling that Christ has put forth forth before you. That is good, hopeful news. But that's only the temporary news. That's only the little P news. It's the excitement of living the adventure of every day because you never know how a cup of coffee could, could turn into a, a beautiful, everlasting relationship. You, you never know that you know, when you failed the test and then came in after school for extra help that you find someone that you love and stay with for the rest of your life. It's the excitement of the adventure of every day that says, God, how will you use me today? Where will you show up? Where will I see you when I seek you? That's the excitement of the little pea plan. But Jeremiah here is talking about a much bigger, way more important plan for the people of Judah and for us. Because that big P plan is the ultimate plan for us. It is the plan that all throughout Jeremiah speaks to our savior. It's a plan that restores intimacy, that heals relationships, that destroys death and sickness because it is the plan for our savior who saves us from our sin because he loves us and because that we can live in freedom regardless of our circumstances. In Jeremiah 23, five through six, six, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. And it shows up again in Jeremiah 31, 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And again in Jeremiah 50, 34, that says, yet their redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. He will vigorously defend their cause so that he may bring rest to their land, but unrest to those who live in Babylon. This is the big plan. This is the capital letter plan, the plan that brings a righteous branch, a new covenant, a strong redeemer, the Lord, our righteous savior. And there is hope in that for today, regardless of the circumstances, we are not necessarily made for this earth. If you're always feeling a little off, if you're always feeling a little different, it's because we have eternity set in our hearts. 
And it is that moment that we will be restored where we can look face to face with our Lord and Savior that we will understand the true, true goodness of that plan. And this is emotional. This is emotional for the, for the Israelites. But I want to turn our focus a little bit to Jeremiah because he was, he was considered the weeping prophet. It was not his happiness to deliver judgment and, and th- these bad news moments to the people. He felt so deeply, he empath- empathized with them over and over and over again. He understood the pain of the people because he himself was ridiculed, was doubted, was hated, was arrested. He was wanted, killed, and amidst all that, no one listened. Because of that, he penned the book Lamentations. Lamentations comes from the Hebrew word achai, which means alas. It means how. And you can hear the grief in the morning all throughout that book as Jeremiah writes it. He puts it this way in chapter two. He says, the elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. You see, Jeremiah was left in Jerusalem. He was still able to stay there. So he knew about this invasion. He witnessed it happen and then he saw the destruction afterwards and it crushed him. And he certainly had moments of pain and doubt when he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He, God, has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. And I'd like to tell you that it gets better before it gets worse, but it doesn't. Man, make sure you're in an okay space before you continue to read Lamentations 4 because Jeremiah says this, he has turned his hand against me again and again, made my skin and my flesh grow old, broken my bones, besieged me, surrounded me with bitterness, made me dwell in darkness, walled me in, weighed me down, shuts out my prayer, barred my way, made my paths crooked, dragged me from the path and mangled me. I became the laughing stock of all my people, trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace, forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. It's pretty bad. He's pretty downcast. He feels that pain. And some of you may be in that moment where you feel that pain that disorientation, that feeling of betrayal, that distance from God. And I think it's that downward depth in which Jeremiah writes this that makes the next verses so beautiful, so profound, so hopeful, and sometimes even so unexpected that Jeremiah continues by penning these words. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's not about Jeremiah's faithfulness. He says it's great about your faithfulness. 
And so whatever you feel, you need to know that the promise is that God's mercies are new every morning. That his compassions don't fail and that he is faithful to his promise of his plan and his love to not leave you, to not allow you to be consumed. Last night, we sat around the campfire with my family and and mesmerized by the flames. But at the end of the night, all there is are ashes. The fire consumes everything. But not with God. With God, there are new mercies every morning if we are open to seeing them and looking for them and seeking them. That, that word, great love, is often transferred into loving kindnesses. Loving kindnesses, it's plural. We don't have a word for it that encompasses all the things that the Hebrew word encompasses because that concept, great love, includes all of this. Love, grace, mercy, goodness, forgiveness, truth, compassion, and faithfulness. All of that is the great love of God that does not consume, right? Our circumstances cannot consume us because of that great love. And I hope, I hope, it is my hope and prayer that you feel those new mercies. You know, I wasn't gonna end this way, but last night I got into this weird like Google search hole. Have you, do you do that? Where you look something up and it takes you down and down and down. And I was looking at these verses over and over and over again. And it, it talks about how good these verses are because they come together. His mercies are new every morning because of his great faithfulness. And you kind of can't separate those two. And I, and I came across a name that probably doesn't sound like much to you. It didn't to me. A man by the name of Thomas Chisholm. He was born in the late 1860s. And he, for all intents and purposes, led a pretty unremarkable life, pretty average. Uh, he found the goodness of following Christ at age 27. He wanted to be a Methodist minister, so he did that for a year. But he had a health condition that let him not be able to pursue that anymore. Became an insurance agent and then an editor. Nothing, nothing too, you know, outstanding. But all through those moments where I'm sure he wondered what the plan was, he continued to pen poems, poem after poem, poem after poem about God's love. 1,500 poems he wrote. And there was one that he wrote in 1924 that had these words, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto thee. And I can imagine what moments brought him to Lamentations to find those verses just as Jeremiah cried out in those moments for the hope and the mercies that God so readily gives us. And so I hope this morning that whatever your circumstance it is, that you may thrive in it, that you may invest in the people and the places around you, that you can be faithful to God has has put you there for a reason and that you have a purpose and a plan because you're not overlooked. He sees you and he loves you and that you will know his great faithfulness as you feel his mercies that are new 
every morning. Please stand with me as I pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to celebrate you this morning. Lord, I, I, I declare this moment a time to reclaim our awe of you, Lord. Lord, help us to understand that you see us, that we are not overlooked. Lord, give us the stamina and the strength to bloom where we're planted, even if we don't want to be here. Lord, I pray that we can live in the words of Jeremiah, Lord, that we can say that we have hope because your mercies are new every morning. And we thank you and praise you for the faithful God that you continue to be time in and time again. We ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus, who you so graciously gave to us so that we may know and understand what it is to live in relationship with you, Lord. Amen.